Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Revelation Project podcast. I am here today with Carrie Hummingbird. Carrie is a soul guide who inspires people to lead their lives wide awake with authenticity, passion, and purpose that positively impacts others. She catalyzes mind shifts that transform life challenges into gifts of wisdom with her Reinvent Yourself programs for individual and group mentoring. She is the international best-selling author of The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, and the award-winning best-selling book, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love, which describes the early years of her spiritual awakening. She has served as a social activist, leader, and philanthropist for over three decades. She is the founder of Skills Not Pills Movement, a host of her Soul Nectar podcast show. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for what's going to unfold. Me too. And I, I loved, you know, as I was reading this a second time, I love this whole like awakening to me, one woman's journey to self-love. And I know that we want to talk mostly about the second wave today and transcending the human drama. But I want to just touch in on that one book because I would love to hear just a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Well, that book was project of uh, self-inquiry and, and coming to terms and learning how to love myself at the end of a couple of decades in my life of a marriage that I walked out on and uh, psychotherapy, weekly psychotherapy sessions that I had been going to trying to you know, fix myself and make myself acceptable to my family and my husband at the time. And this feeling of like being broken or, or something wrong with me and not being acceptable somehow. Mm. And, um, I went that way for quite a while and got myself down into a pit that, you know, what I call the pit of despair, right? <laughs> like, well, there's just no fixing me. It's just not working. You know, it's getting more and more out of control or it's, it's manifesting itself in uh, new behaviors now. Like uh, this parts of me are screaming no and Mm -hmm. and rebelling so when i walked out of that relationship i kind of was in this space of like well screw it i'm just going to be bad you know i'm just going to go ahead and be bad because (laughs) trying to be good hasn't worked pretty soon in about six months i i got my first spiritual teacher through yoga and then i got another teacher that was of uh, earth-based spirituality which is really experiential you know it's really starting to go into your senses. And that's when I started writing that book because I was listening in a new way to myself. I started hearing this guidance that said, write about your journey. This is what the book is called. Be totally honest. Don't leave anything out. Expose yourself. Be vulnerable. And it sounded like a good idea at the time. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I started writing the book. And it created this context for my life where the goal was to love myself. Mm. And so everything became sort of synchronistic and significant around that journey of inner acceptance and and love. And so the book is really written as I was evolving on my journey, 
as I was going through painful discoveries, as I was going through realizations, as I was um, understanding new things about myself. And it does reveal many, many um, very vulnerable (laughs) topics that people say they really appreciate that it's just written from that humble space. And uh, so that that's my first book that I put out there. Oh, I love that. Well, I was going to say that the one thing that you <laughs> said right off the bat that just, you know, very resonant to me is kind of this idea of like, make myself acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it really, I, I keep thinking, you know, with all of this work that we do, that's the starting place is kind of like make <laughs> making myself acceptable, though, to me. It's like kind of turning from that exterior, making myself acceptable to others and really starting to recognize like, wow, I have to first accept myself with me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, there is this, the journey of doing this work I have found to be so beautiful and there's so many layers. Like (laughs) we were talking about spirals before we got on the call. And I really feel that so deeply because I'm in another spiral now. I'm like in another level deeper in my own understanding of myself and how I could be showing up with love for myself. And I'm in another whole layer of understanding, you know, the reflection that the outer world has for my inner world and how I can bring grace and space to myself. Because, um, you know, we're in a pretty tumultuous time on the earth right now. And I find myself going between states of perception that are more connected with my higher self, what I would call white eagle, and then fluctuating back to states of perception that are more the woman that I've been in my life, you know, Carrie, and what she's experienced, the one who wrote that first book, mm-hmm. and the journey that she's been on, the journey that I've been on as her. And so this is, to me, um, it's a dance between those aspects of self. And if I get off in one direction a little too much, then I bring myself back into the middle to kind of talk to the other direction. And then if I get a little too off on that direction a little too much, then I bring myself back in. And I feel like, I feel like that's the dance we're doing. And I, I witness that not everybody shares that point of view. I feel like some people have read my new book or, or gotten the messages I've been putting out about the new book, The Second Wave, which the subtitle is transcending the human drama and have maybe gotten the idea that we're here to just sort of stop being human and I don't know, start being gods or something or all spirit or I don't, I'm not really sure what they're thinking we're going to be or even what I thought. But what I'm hearing is inside of me is this call to keep to being all of it, to keep somehow bringing it all together into one experience. Yeah. Yeah. These polarities. Yeah. Right. Because what I heard you saying is feels really important. This piece about, you know, your first kind of human self writing the first book and the second book really being an expression of your spiritual self and a higher power coming through you to write that book. Is that how you would describe that? Yes, the second wave is is um it's actually my third book, but it's the first book by that is really a collaboration with my higher self. So I channeled it. I got myself over the last, I don't know, eight years of studying energy medicine and being a healer in sessions with clients. 
I've practiced how to sort of put myself aside in the background mm-hmm. and then be this hollow bone through which messages come through and healing energies come through. And so I've practiced listening and being present um, from that space. And so that is the uh, skill set that was used to channel that book, The Second Wave. And I, I wrote that book in a couple of months because, of course, when I'm just listening and, and feeling the energies, the consciousness as it's presenting itself to me and then translating that in my mind into words that would be appropriate for that conscious energy I'm feeling because I'm an empath, that process um, is pretty swift. You know, it, it's, it's like the information is there and all I've got to do is translate it. If it's okay, too, I just want to demystify this idea of channeling a little bit for our listeners today, because I think that that was always kind of a really interesting concept to me, because I think I was, again, kind of putting that idea of channeling outside my human experience. Somehow I had to somehow... become superhuman or become, you know, <laughs> right in order to do that. And, and so for my listeners, I just want to say, like, we all have the capability to channel. And I feel like, you know, a lot of, of how that got demystified to me is just really understanding that oftentimes, when we are in flow, or when we are connecting, or when we are in a meditative state, whether that's a state of, you know, for me, it could be, a walking meditation, I could be drawing, I could be writing. And it's kind of connecting, like you said, and putting almost like there's a part of me that goes on into a relaxed state. And then it's like, I can listen from this different place. And I feel like that's the place that you're talking about. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here for you, Carrie, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I also just want to say that I think that we can tend to kind of think that channeling is somehow extraordinarily out of our reach. And I don't think that it is. No, I think that uh, it's a muscle and everybody can build the muscle. It's just whether you choose to build the muscle or not. I mean, I I didn't uh, ever think that I could just out of thin air know someone else's experience until I got trained in energy medicine at the Four Winds Life Body School. And we practiced with each other how to tune in and do what they call a journey on each other's behalf, which is sort of using our rattle to put your mind into a trance and then just opening to receive information in whatever way it wanted to come with a vision or a message or, you know, a sound or something, whatever way it was going to show up for that other person. And so we practiced it. And I had a lot of self-doubt about it when it first came out. When I, sure, the first yeah. one I did, I was like, am I just making this up? Like, <laughs> right. Did I just make this up? Is this, is this just like me projecting my reality onto this woman? And I actually went and, and asked Alberto Vialdo, who's the founder of the school. He was in the room and I walked up to him and I said, Alberto, I think I'm like projecting my reality onto this woman. And I don't want to share what I saw because I think it's just my stuff. And he looked at me and he kind of looked off to the side into my field and he kind of got a message and he looked at me and he said, you know, why don't you trust spirit? Go share with her. Go tell her that you're concerned. It's a projection. <laughs> yeah. And then go share it with her and see what she says. And I was like, okay. And I went back and I shared and she said, oh my God, that's my life. You're so accurate. <laughs> yes. And then he told me later, he said, you just think you're special, Carrie. That's the only thing is you think that you have this unique experience. But he said, we're all having a common experience. We share this. You're yeah. not, you know, you're not, your problem is your specialness. You know? So once I realized that I thought I was special, 
nothing wrong with being special, right? We're all special. But like you're talking about, when I got over this idea that that people that did this work were gifted somehow, right? then I could just realize like anything I saw, I could trust it. Like, so what? I have been brought this person in front of me who's got some common experience with me. Mm-hmm. Well, that just shows that we're part of a collective that's having an, a, a common experience and we're each experiencing it in a unique individual way, but it's still the same experience. Well, and I love, I love that, you know, it's, it's so true. And I think that, you, you know, you used that word trust. It's like trusting ourselves too that whatever is kind of coming into our field, whatever is coming into our lived experience, it's trusting that, that, that there is more to be revealed there. And so I, I would love to actually just dive into, describe to us what is, tell us about the second wave. Tell me about, and, and I'm so curious now about the transcending the human drama part. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> talk about that. So, well, the second wave, I when I got the message in a meditation, I heard, you're going to write another book. And I said, okay, what's the book? Because I've already, you know, remember, I've already been to this two-year journey in writing this book, The Awakening to Me. And I'm going, okay, so what do you want me to do now? Because that was really vulnerable. <laughs> and, and this message came through, you're going to write this book and it's going to happen really quickly. It needs to be published in July. And I thought, well, that's a quick turnaround. This is starting in February and you want me to publish it and everything by July. Okay. So it must be working differently. And in fact, it was. And then I, was rem- I said, well, what's the topic? And, and I heard the second wave. And I said, well, what is that? I don't even know what that is. How am I going to write about that if I don't know what it is? I was guided to uh, remember Dolores Cannon's work, which I have never really been able to get into yet because I think my consciousness has just not been ready for it. But she does this whole series of books called The Convoluted Universe and all that. And it's pretty interesting stuff for my friends who do read that stuff. But she uh, she interviewed people. She had uh, this technique for hypnosis called um, QHHT, which is quantum, quantum healing hypnosis technique. And this technique, I've experienced it. It brings you into a deep level of connection with your soul self that um, now you can have your practitioner ask questions that you prearranged to ask of your soul self and get some answers. Well, don't we all like that idea? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty handy. <laughs> so, uh, and then you can review your past lives and, you know, sort of get wisdom from these past life snippets um, for your current life. So it's a pretty useful process. And well, so she realized that you could do this, you know, that there is this subconscious, she calls it, I call it soul self, that's always ever present and has lots of information and answers about everything. And we only get usually fleeting little touches on it. And uh, you can ask it questions. Well, when she started uh, interviewing all of these people in this state of hypnosis, they started talking about the second wave and the first wave. And I'm a member of the first wave and I'm a member of the second wave. And so she got curious about that. So that's the subject of the book is, well, who is the second wave and what are we here to do? And so I'll talk a little bit about that um, in, a, in a really brief way. The second wave and the first wave are volunteers to the planet to help the ascension of human consciousness. Now, we are ascending human consciousness. You know, we are bringing to human consciousness, to everyday human experience, things that up until now, only really amazing, incredible people that we have like glorified throughout the ages have been able to accomplish up until now. So like Jesus, you know, everybody is so impressed with Jesus and all that he's, you know, look at all the good work and how long it's lasted and all of his beneficial 
presence has made in the world. So it's amazing. And what if that possibility was here for you today? And so that is the work of the day, actually. And the second wave are volunteers that came to the planet to embody as human and to start manifesting this uh, shift in human consciousness from the inside out, which means becoming human and uh, bringing the divine knowing and divine presence and and all the things you've ever accomplished as a soul into this human experience to to merge, you know, to merge, to to enlighten, to you know, to uh, to bring that gift of higher consciousness into the human experience, and now to make this experience something that it'd be more common for people to experience the things that say Jesus experienced in his life. So that is what we're doing. It's lo- it's very ambitious work. And, um, so transcending the human drama. So why is that there? Well, because we are having a human experience and the the way that human experience has been defined up until now has been through drama, has been through, you know, karma would be another way of talking about that interactions that create and generate karma that then it's got to be processed in another lifetime, usually, you know, by being, by seeing things through different, different eyes, by, by um, coming in as, you know, so coming in as someone's uh, abuser in one life and then in the next life being the one that they abuse. And now you have the lens of both sides and you're sort of experiencing that situation from multiple angles, which is, which is really the beautiful gift of being in earth school is being able to have multiple lifetimes as totally different characters and having totally different experiences and be able to reflect on all the different diamond facets to understand the human experience. And we are shifting now. So we're, we want to elevate that conversation now um, with less violence, right? With less like um, entrenchment and with more fluidity, more fluidity in the game of knowing that we're here to actually do this thing where we get to see the different facets. And maybe we could even learn how to do that without changing bodies. And maybe that would increase our understanding of one another and our unity and diversity. So this is what um, has been channeled through me as the purpose of what we're doing now. So it's not about not being human anymore. It's about changing the definition of what it means to be human. And it's not about feel not feeling anymore because certainly feeling is a beautiful gift of being a human, you know, is being able to feel and, and having emotions and, and being able to feel and touch and taste and all of these sensory experiences are is why we come here. And it, the conversation it can be altered in such a way that we're having a new game. So let's say up until now, humanity has been playing a game called Monopoly. And the Monopoly game, we've all been sitting around the soul table playing Monopoly for quite a while, for maybe thousands of years playing Monopoly. And, um, you know, buying up properties and making each other pay and sending each other to jail. And, <laughs> I love this metaphor already. Right. Yep. <laughs> and having more power than the other person. And uh, the whole game has been about yeah. power and money and property and owning things. Right. And so, mm-hmm. but at some point when you're with your family at Thanksgiving or whatever holidays you celebrate and you're playing Monopoly, it's a very long game and it can create some bad feelings and, um, you yeah, know, it's like divisive, right? It's divisive. And some people can feel like really bored with the game because they're, you know, and some people can feel really addicted to the game because they're winning. 
And there's a lot of gloating and there's, you know, so anyway, there's a lot of experience that happens at the Monopoly game and people like Monopoly. So they play the game, you know, but at some point they don't want to play that game for a little while. They want to take a break and play a different game. You know, maybe you want to play Scattergories or Pictionary or, you know, like right. go outside and, and play tennis together or go running or go out in nature for a hike, you know, so so all this is is just is just to say that maybe at a soul level we've all decided we want to play a different game. We've already kind of we've played Monopoly until its very last bitter moments and Mother Earth has said, That's enough. I I'm tired of all the ramifications of the Monopoly game. And the mother has said it's now time for a new game. And uh we're here to create that new game. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're you're saying we're here to create that new game. You know, it's not, it's not, the answers are not right in front of us. Like, here's your new game, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you imagine, as I, as I channel in the book, is that um, there are many beings of light on the planet as part of the first wave and the second wave that came here to, to lend gifts, you know, other experiences, let's say, on other planets where, where maybe you've experienced this kind of transformation before. But why would those beings that have, you know, sort of experienced a lot already be interested in this if it's all figured out already? <laughs> Could it be interested in that? No, there would be no challenge there, would there? No. So, yeah. So we're here to really do something new together. And it's an experiment. And that's part of the fun of it is that we don't really know what's going to happen. So there and, and we haven't upgraded when I say upgraded. I got to be careful with that because I don't want to give the impression that there's something wrong with what has been up until now because there isn't. But, you know, when the, when the symphony wants to move into another octave, then everybody has to come along. Otherwise, there's too much dissonance for the music to hold, you know, like that's how things get off key. And so if Earth just wants to, you know, just stays in its current pattern, it, it creates a dissonance with the overall music that wants to be played. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not bad. It's just not, you know, it's not where we're going collectively. Like if I think about the collective of like all of life, all of life, like all that is. Earth is just one little tiny dot and speck in all that is. So we're going to a new place and we want to play a new game on Earth. And so we're going to play a new game. So it's an invitation. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge you for a minute because, you know, you do a really great job of making this relatable. You know, you do a great job of taking what can typically be a very kind of lofty, elevated, uh, esoteric kind of conversation, <laughs> you know, and really bring it into some really easy to relate to metaphors. And I just I just wanted to say that because it's really it's important, I think, that it, I guess what I want to say is like, thank you for still being human here. You know? <laughs> well, I, I don't know how I could communicate if I'm not human. And I, we talked about this a couple minutes before the show started. Right. Well, and Carrie, I don't want to, you know, because it's true. I think we've all experienced, right? People that I'm sure they have the best intentions, but there's some kind of way in which spirituality or people who have kind of done this type of work can somehow remove themselves from the humanity of it, if you if you know what I mean. And 
there tends to be like, it becomes too far out of reach for anybody to really grasp some of these concepts. And, and I don't, you know, again, like different strokes for different folk, our vibe attracts our tribe, but I always find it really refreshing. And even for me, I find myself really feeling that it's important for me to have both of my feet firmly planted in each world, human and spiritual, and really to integrate. And I know that that's not everybody's idea of, you know, what we're here to do. A lot of when you talked about ascension earlier, I think that oftentimes there's this idea that we're supposed to overcome our human experience and become like Jesus in that way. And I and I don't think that that that's helpful sometimes. Well, it's because of the idea that people have about who Jesus was. You know, I've I've had conversations, you know, this is just my conversations, okay? So everybody can have their own conversations with Jesus and find their own answers. Because <laughs> I've asked these questions in my own meditations, like, what is going on? Am I supposed to not be human? Am I supposed to be human? <laughs> what What does it mean to be like you? What What is this going on with this? And, you know, and actually the messages I get are have some compassion and space and grace for yourself, Carrie. Like when I was human, it was hard, you know, like it was just as hard as what you're going through right now is not an easy experience. And, and why is that? Because, because we, we chose to be somehow amnesic to our true self, to have an experience of being humble and small and, and in many ways, powerless and fragile and, and at the mercy of larger forces. And, and of course, that's all an illusion because who we really are is connected to all that is. We are all that is. We're part of the divine consciousness that created this entire experience. So we're not separate from anything. We're so connected. We are that. But it's, you know, and plus we give in these little hardware systems, you know, with our brains that, that can only comprehend tiny little bits of this. So that's also like an extra challenge we give ourselves, the, the secret we keep from ourselves about who we really are so that we can have an experience. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to judge myself a lot because I think I, I want to be, I see where the potential is. I feel where the potential is. And then my, you know, my human frailty, well, it exposes me at every turn. And then I get to have compassion for myself and get to go, oh, wait a second. Okay, this is a game that my soul is playing with me, with my existence to have an experience of not knowing all this beautiful stuff that I know. Of course, I know because I'm connected to all that is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But rather than shaming the human experience, we could be reveling in the human experience. And I think that's where the misnomer is. I think that is the gap. Yeah. Is feeling like this human experience. And this is words I, I hear lightworkers use a lot. And I used to use them too on my journey of healing. So I, I have zero judgment for this. But like saying that somebody is too toxic to be around, or that's just, you know, that's just so negative. I just have to get that out of my space. I just can't talk to that person because they're so negative. I understand that so much because I've gone through that part of my journey and I feel like I'm on the cusp of coming to another understanding of that, which is really fresh and raw. And it's a question I have for myself and anybody who would like to take this on as an inquiry is if you feel that in your heart of hearts that you came here to be in service to humanity and to human consciousness and to, to elevate it somehow, how are you going to do that if you silo? 
your experience to only be in association with people that you feel no dissonance with? How are you going to really serve if you can't walk among people who are still mired in the density of the human experience and feeling hatred and feeling anger and feeling grief and feeling sadness and feeling fear and anxiety and, and scarcity? How are you going to be in service if you're subtly underneath the surface judging all of that humanity, that human dense experience as somehow bad or negative or toxic or shameful? Yeah, it's such it's such a great inquiry. I love that you brought that up because it's kind of like this hidden superiority in a way, you know, it can be very it can be just as divisive if not more so than some of the things that we're seeing and trying to overcome in so many realms, right? And it just it's it's kind of like I think again going back to this, you know, human and spiritual experience, we have to remember that, you know, it's not about arriving at a destination, you know, where it's all handled. <laughs> it's more about, you know, really getting better at recovering and moving with more levity and lightness and love through all of those human and spiritual experiences and like allowing all of it to belong and just, you know, using the tools, right, that we that many of us teach. And so there's, there's so many different tools that help us navigate some of these, you know, challenges. But I think that ultimately, what you're saying, you know, is, I think, especially now, right, what we're dealing with in the world is a lot of dissonance, a lot of I always say what gets revealed gets healed. But this is kind of the messy, messy, gritty, dark, ugly, wounding, like we have to see it all before we can really start to look at how we want to heal it, how how we want to be part of that healing process. Absolutely. I, you know, I had, I interviewed one, one guest a, a while ago on my, on Soul Nectar show who said, um, that we're like janitors, you know, light workers are actually janitors. So, you know, we, we get into the mess, we get right into the <laughs> right. mess and cle- help clean it up. You know, like, like if you really want to help somebody, I mean, look at the, look at the warriors of love that are, um, in the healthcare industry and, and the ones, especially in the old, the old age homes, you know, where the nursing homes, where they're with these elderly people in the last years of their life. And they, you know, they, they help cleanse their bodies. They send them love even when they're really crotchety and angry because they're in pain. And, and, and they, and they are in this environment where, and I've been in those, in those environments where the energy is so dense because so much human experience, historical experience is sloughing off these elderly people as they make their way to be ready to transcend their bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's such an act of service and love to be in those spaces. And it takes a courageous heart to show up in those spaces with love rather than defend. You know, if you, if you caring for somebody and they're yelling in your face, how hard is that to show up with love and, and not to feel defensive or attacked? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like that's, you know, in the book, there's a section called Courageous Heart. You know, and remember, I channeled all this, okay, from my higher guidance. So I'm a messy human that had this ability to open up and hear messages from my divinity, translate them into words and put them in a book. 
I'm not a master of these teachings in this incarnation, in this body. I am a student of these teachings and I am doing my best. <laughs> yes. Amen. And, you know, and these teachings are profound and, and yes, I work to embody them and it's, it's a daily study. What is being a, de- a courageous heart? What does it mean to drop my defenses in the middle of feeling attacked? What does it mean to to check myself for a moment whenever I notice the thought, oh, that's toxic and, and recoil and then open back and drop the defenses and, and be present with love and trust that the love inside of me is stronger than anything it's going to meet, that that the love inside of me is is that liquid balm that will just melt whatever's there. That's that is the work. And I'm in process on it. I'm a human. I'm a messy human. I'm a woman who's experienced a lot of early childhood trauma and has trust issues and is working to love and trust the divine and love and trust herself and to bring a message onto the world. And and I often feel people wanting to put me on some kind of pedestal and I'm like, I knock myself off. No, I'm not on the pedestal. I, that's not where I am. I'm on the, I'm on the street. I'm, you know, sometimes I'm in the gutter, you know, flipping the bird, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Sometimes I'm hurt, you know, and I'm like, screw you, you know? And, and other times I come back and I say, okay, now I'm going to bring myself into compassion. I had a moment, I had an outbreak, I had an outburst, I had a, I had anger happen. Anger occurred in my human experience. Resentment occurred in my human experience. Judgment occurred in my human experience. And and now what? We're, okay, how can I bring compassion and love to myself and not add more fuel to the fire with more self-judgment and more siloing to keep those people away from me so I don't have to see that about myself? Well, and also, Carrie, you know, what comes up for me when you talk about it is like, it's it's so necessary that we get activated in that human experience because it informs our spiritual selves. You know, it really helps us to use that experience to elevate, to evolve, to alchemize. And you know, you had said before about the janitor and I and I just wanted to say that you know, I, I'm a big fan of the mess. I often say like, my mess is my message. And I think part of the problem we women have in general is that we're really good at cleaning up messes. And I and I want to say not only light workers, but women in general, part of sometimes what I think we're being asked to do is to not clean it up right away to actually get really, really messy. And then and transform that mess, right? Mm-hmm. It transform that mess into something useful and informing. And, and, and so it's like, yes, to those gritty, hard experiences, because they really do, if we allow them to, right, we have to kind of, um, my um, dear friend, Andrea always says, let it have its way with you. Mm. Right? Like, let, let that hard experience have its way with you. Because by deeply feeling these experiences, by deeply feeling our human mess, you know, is where I think we get to really alchemize that into something positive, into something good, into something useful. Yeah, I love that. I love everything you just said, because feeling it to heal it has been the latest part of my journey of healing. And I think that, so I want to honor where everybody is like on your journey. Mm -hmm. When I was beginning my journey, 
walking out the door, my 20 year relationship and walking out the door of psychotherapy, I'd been just immersed in so much self-judgment, self-reflection and self-judgment and so painful that it got me to the place where I just didn't want to be here anymore. It was so immersively painful that I wanted to die. So it was a relief to me to discover a path of healing that didn't require me to think and actually was better if I didn't think and was more about the energy and more about clearing heavy density out of my being through energy medicine. So I spent a good number of years and I still work with the energy medicine to clear things out of my being in a less painful way. So that's a part of the journey. And I believe that's an important part. And, you know, it doesn't have to be so hard and such a struggle. And now I'm in the part of my journey where I've done enough cleaning and clearing inside my being. And I've done enough coming to terms and I've done enough expansion of my emotional capacity to hold space for myself and others that I can open bigger and I can feel more deeply with an undefended heart. And I can allow the experience to have its way with me now. Mm. So I feel like there's stages to this, like, like a, you know, the spiral metaphor again. I feel like there's passages and parts to the journey that everybody goes through when you're ready for that part. And so be where you are. You know, if, if you're in a space where I'm so overwhelmed by this density that I just want to get a healing and I want it to be cleared away for a while that's perfectly valid. And if you're in the part where you're like, you know what? I feel so emotionally distant from my human experience. I've like completely spiritually bypassed it. And I feel like so awkward walking around in this human thing, being a a God, then maybe get a little humanity back. (laughs) Open to feeling. (laughs) Have a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Do what I did. Drink, drink a couple glasses of wine and see what happens. (laughs) I'll be right back in your humanity. Look at me split. (laughs) So funny. I love it. So, and, and if it's okay, Carrie, I want to take advantage of just your gift of making things so relatable because one of the words that came up as I was reading, you know, your beautiful book is this idea of becoming sovereign. And I, that word can, I think, have kind of this immediate, like, um, it sounds superior, you know, when you, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like when you first kind of, Because I see that thrown around a lot. As I started to really get curious about goddess work, like you hear that word a lot. And I find that it often can be this, again, this lofty understanding. And I wondered if you could kind of just put it in human terms for everyone. Yeah. So, well, it's just actually the truth already. So we're not trying to get anywhere. We already are sovereign. It's just that we're we're deceiving ourselves to have an experience of of um, being less powerful than we actually are. You know, so so in a way, it's sort of just um, well. Let's just say another way of talking about this is that the universe is extremely respectful. It's so respectful of you that if you don't ask for help, you won't get any. You know, if, if you don't specifically open to receive guidance and support on a daily basis, you sort of just can spin out, you know, in whatever your current experience is, if you can't navigate your way out of it. You know, it's sort of like if there was a puzzle on the table over the holidays and you were putting the, the pieces into the puzzle together for yourself, you would, and you got stuck and you couldn't 
figure out where the edges were. You couldn't find all the pieces. You'd just kind of be hanging out there the rest of your life trying to finish that puzzle because that's how respectful the universe is because the universe knows that you are a divine sovereign being choosing to have that experience. You can, you can spin out in it for as long as you want. Well, you can also ask for help. And, and in that case, maybe somebody comes in and puts, you know, says, Hey, here's this piece. Oh, here's this piece. In which case now you're collaborating with other beings on the planet who are also sovereign, but they're not going to come in and intrude on your puzzle unless you've asked them to. And that's where soul contracts come in. Mm, so with yeah. soul contracts, we've already previously agreed before we came into this life that, Hey, we're, you're going to interrupt me from my pattern at this specific time. So don't forget, you know, this is, this is where we're going to meet and the time is fluid. So it's sort of more like an if then else, like whenever it happens kind of thing, but there'll be a point and we'll both know that that's the time and we'll have an agreement. We'll come together. The energy will pull us and then you'll do your soul contract thing for me. And then I'll be liberated. Like maybe you had a soul contract with your mom, be as mean to me as possible. So I can learn how to, how to love myself in the process of <laughs> withstanding that much meanness. Mm-hmm. So you know, so, so you're, so it's always by agreement is what I'm trying to say. So we've always been sovereign. We just got the misunderstanding because we're having an amnesiatic experience on earth of forgetting who we really are mm-hmm. so that we can fully immerse in the experience of being human so that we can fully learn our lessons. Because if you were your soul doing that puzzle on the table, you would have it done in about a second and it would be boring. But if you're, you know, your soul's emissary, your soul's character, then your soul is designed certain blocks of knowing what you know, so that you can have the fullest experience of that lifetime. And that figuring that out is part of the journey. And that, yeah, and that, and I love this piece that you were talking about, about, you know, sovereign being that in our to go back to kind of your puzzle metaphor that, you know, even if we were to ask for help, it doesn't make us less sovereign. It's just, it's more, and and I'll never forget kind of starting to understand because I, I had to really, so I want to, I'll just share a little bit of this part of my personal experience because when growing up in the Catholic church, right. And I bring it to church because I had collapsed religion and spirituality together for a long time in, in my early life. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know, like, unless I prayed in the way that I was taught, I wasn't, I wasn't given spiritual autonomy. Like it wasn't like, well, what is your relationship like with spirit? Right. There was not an inquiry there. It was more like, here's how we do it. Here's, and it never resonated for me. And so I I started to get like resentful and get upset and confused. And like, I broke away from my religion. And then I had like, it was like, I didn't understand that this other inner world that was going on inside of me was my spiritual world. Do you know know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, like, finally, like, ah, you know, the understanding, like, oh, right, just starting to have language for it. And so part of the journey for me has been to develop a spiritual you know, practice within myself that feels right for me and that resonates with me and to learn how to know myself better. And part way along the way, I would forget that I could ask for help when I got stuck, that I could tap into 
or channel or connect or pray or have a ceremony, right? That all of these pieces of what I had experienced in but through a different lens and a different filter growing up were all very important tools that were accessible to me, but now in my way, in a way that I understood it and could call them in to serve this new experience of spirituality for myself. Does that make sense? Well, it absolutely makes sense to me. And, and the metaphor that I've been given to address that, what you're raising here, is that each of us has a unique thumbprint. We all know we have a unique thumbprint. Mm-hmm. But think about that. You have a unique, why do you have a unique thumbprint? Well, I think it's symbolic of the unique creation that you are. That's like almost like you slid into this thumbprint suit and it had all of these, you know, uh, beliefs and conditions and life experiences and lesson plans that you're going to have and everything like check, check, check all inside that like thumbprint suit. And then you slip that on with your spirit. And you start living as that to have the experience of it. Now, groups are an attempt to um, share a common experience of the divine. Yet, each of us is inside this unique thumbprint suit, making us automatically unique. And the amount of overlap that you might have with another person is quite varied. You know, so in some ways the group experience of the divine is a bit, could be a bit artificial or controlling or suppressive if it doesn't automatically recognize the uniqueness of how the divine wants to show up for each person because of their unique thumbprint. Mm, I so love that. Yeah. It, it's got to have both. Such, yeah, it's, it's got to have both. And I, and I'm seeing that page 152, remember your unique thumbprint. Yes. Love, love, love. Okay. So Talk to me about fifth dimensional conversations. Oh, yeah. Well, I've gotten really good at fifth dimensional conversations because third dimensional conversations with my mother are quite challenging. <laughs> so, well, and for, for our listeners, let's just go through the dimensions if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Start there. Well, so for me, I work primarily with just two, like uh, in my work, a third dimension would be our physical experience of being in a body on earth and having to have like a literal conversation with somebody over the phone or in person. Like that's a literal conversation. And for me, the fifth dimension is more opening the psychic gifts. And I have spaces I bring people to that's called like the sanctuary is a fifth dimensional healing space that I've got access to that um, bring people there and there's like a bunch of old oak trees and a circle and we all can gather in there and, you know, do healing together. So in that space, in that fifth dimensional space, and it's kind of, it's more psychic. Everything is psychic. I bring people to that space whenever I do drum journey, I take them on a drum journey and, and we go on a um, etheric, uh, imaginative journey to another space. That's the fifth dimension. We're going to another space where I could bring people to Alsengate in Peru in a drum journey and people see the mountain. They feel the presence of the sun. They, they think they're like, they're standing there. Mm-hmm. So that's just something that, that I've awakened within me is the ability to, to hold space for that. And it's also in my unique thumbprint, right? So it's in my human design to be able to open the door. They often tell me I'm a door opener. So that fifth dimensional space, anybody can work in. 
because we all have a pineal gland and we all have access to our frontal cortex. So we all have access to telepathy. We all have a third eye, you know, so we're all able to, and we all are already communicating with each other energetically and tel- um, telepathically without maybe realizing it. So this is why it's not such a good idea if you're angry with somebody to take a picture of them, put it on the wall or on a punching bag and then beat the crap out of it. Like that's, that's psychic abuse, actually, as you're attacking that person and at some level they feel it. So this is, you know, we're awakening to new gifts, right? We talked about um, awakening to new gifts that we all have inherent in our system that maybe just haven't been unlocked yet. So telepathy and psychic connection is, is, are some of those gifts. So we want to be mindful when we're um, using those gifts to realize that your thoughts are not contained inside your head. So anybody who has unlocked those gifts, they already know that those thoughts are not contained inside their heads because they're able to hear other people's thoughts, you know, that are not contained inside those people's heads. Mm -hmm. And so this is where when you're really psychic and you've opened that gift up, it's really challenging, you know, to be around a bunch of people because you can feel or sense what they're thinking in the middle of a conversation, even when they're not saying anything, you can feel it and it's very distracting. And because you're hearing one thing and you're trying to hear yourself and then you're hearing this other person and there's a lot going on. So the way to start beginning to open up this gift for yourself, because it's actually very helpful, is you can actually do this thing. And I think I share this in the book, but you, you can do this little practice to make it tangible and real for yourself. And that's to put two chairs next to each other. You put two chairs um, kind of facing each other as if you were going to sit and face and talk to this other person in real life, like in your body. You were going to invite them to sit in front of you and have a conversation. So that kind of thing. And then you get a, a, like a journal or a, a notepad where you can do some autonomic writing, which is just writing without thinking. And, and then you would create an intention. So like I'm going to have a fifth dimensional conversation with with my mother, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, whether she's dead or alive, it doesn't matter. It works. So you would then sit in your chair and say, okay, in, I'm sitting in, my cha- in this chair and in this chair, I am me. And then you would write on your notepad, I would like to have a conversation with you, mother. Would you like to have a conversation with me? Then you would stand up, sit down in the other seat, allow the energy of your mother to, to inform your body and to, to sort of take over for a moment and then put your hand on the paper and let the answer come out. Mm-hmm. It's yes or no, right? And and then you would receive that answer and then stand up and go sit back in your chair. And now what's the question you want to ask? What's the thing you want to say? And then you write that out on the paper and then stand up, go sit down in her, her spot, be her and let the answer come out. So this is, a, this is about definitely doing your best not to think and to be in the moment and to be in flow and just let your hand with the pen just write whatever needs to be written. And then once it's been written, you can sit back, go change it back into your chair and be you. Sit down and receive that message as you and notice how you feel. So this is a really effective tool for, for navigating the space between you and another person and understanding things a little bit better. And because we're all sovereign, it works to the degree that the other person is agreeing to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So if they don't want to, then it's not going to work very well. What I'm hearing is it's like the conversation is between kind of the highest version of yourselves, yourself yes. and herself. The etheric, more energetic 
consciousness version of you. Yes. Yeah. It's fascinating, right? How when you do really start to work in these in this realm that there are so many tools that you know occur as like miraculous really because there's so much healing available i think and we don't recognize earlier you were talking about you know working with psychotherapists for a long time right and then having to understand that like that was all kind of that head work and that mind work that i think at some level can be really helpful and then i think that there's also a a point where you get to this place in your journey where you recognize that you you've been avoiding your true kind of bodily feelings and sensations for so long that there's that there's so much wisdom there to unlock and so finding somebody that can help you to actually re-embody yourself right and and to actually feel a lot of these feelings that bring us so much healing and wisdom. And then this other way too, that you're talking about, which is then using kind of the spiritual realm to achieve some healings. And the reason that this comes up um, strongly for me, as you were just talking about this is that, you know, there've been certain ways on my own human journey that I simply cannot have certain conversations with certain people simply because of limitations that they might have. And so what comes up is I have a sister that passed of um, ALS several years ago. And so this idea of actually having been able to speak to her or know, because I didn't have those tools at that time, but have a better sense of what she needed because she couldn't communicate anymore. So there's all different ways I think that we can really open up to understanding what we need next and certainly some of these other tools that you're talking about are probably new or or sound new to a lot of um, my listeners. Uh, a lot of these concepts are new to me. So kind of demystifying them, I, I think this is one of your gifts, Carrie. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to say my first job out of college was uh, working in high tech. So it might surprise people to hear that, that I was uh, working for startups in Silicon Valley for decades. That was my primary money source was uh, being a technical communicator and writing manuals about software and explaining how to use it. But, you know, it seems unrelated. But then when you look back, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm like, now I'm just explaining the next technology that's really uh, confusing for people that they don't know how to use. And now I'm just explaining how to use that, you know, step one, you know, <laughs> sit in front of your computer, step two, turn on, you know, like <laughs> there's just the next, the next manual. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we all have it in our bodies. We all have these capabilities. And as we show responsibility, we get opened up to more capabilities. And when we maybe are less responsible with our energy, then things sort of turn off. The potentials kind of close for a little while until we can demonstrate more responsibility. Mm. Right. Like there, there actually is kind of a given, I was going to say give and take, but I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. It's more like a give and give like, but it's, it's almost like you, you really have to kind of be ready for the next to be shown the next, you know, kind of big set of tools or the, or the, the next, it's almost like you to go back to what you were saying with the, with the game, right. Levels of the game where you actually like open the next level. I'm thinking of a video game. Yeah. You open the next level and you unlock new capabilities and new potentials, but you, it rests on a foundation. So you still have to have known the basic premise of how to move yourself through the game before you can unlock the next potentials. 
So we are working through that. And, you know, my going to psychotherapy all those years, well, that was one level of, of teaching. You know, I needed to know all that in order to navigate my goic consciousness to know like where it wants to go. I had to intimately explore it and really become aware of all the stories I tell that create my reality. Mm-hmm. Then I became aware of energy. That was the new thing that got, got unlocked. And boy, that was a relief after all that talking and feeling like I didn't get anywhere. <laughs> so like felt the sensation of banging your head against a brick wall and not getting anywhere. That's kind of how I felt at the end of all that psychotherapy. So then to find something where in 45 minutes I felt better, I was like, wow, well, that's cool. I'm going to do that. So, so then I started, you know, learning how to become that person and, and provide that kind of service. And I enjoy that. And now uh, a couple of years ago, it started shifting again because uh, the message I was getting from my higher guidance was, listen, the, the end goal of your life is not to be everyone's savior and have them come sit on, lie down on your table and you just wave your feathers over them and give them a healing and make it all better. <laughs> you know, like that's right. not why you're here. And I said, oh, I'm not because I really like those healings. <laughs> like, no, it, it really serves your ego. You know, you really feel like you're doing it. So like, we're going to teach you something new now. <laughs> like, okay. So then it became much more about, you know, channeling teachings and teaching other people uh, about how to use these tools that brought me to the place that I'm at. And, and it's evolved even beyond that now to where I'm, I'm learning how to do a little bit more Socratic method, a little bit more questioning of leading people to their own answers rather than sort of pointing the direction, you know? So it's more like, okay, well, let me listen to your soul's guidance and help you to hear it better Mm. rather than telling you that this is the pathway, this is the one true path. So it's even more respectful and honoring of people's sovereignty. So I would just say that, you know, getting back to that word sovereignty is to pay attention to any teaching that purports to say that there's one white, right way to move through life or that if you don't do it X, Y, Z way, then you're doing it wrong and there's consequences that to be a little suspicious of those mm-hmm. kinds of teachings and to be more embracing of teachings that say, hey, all the answers are inside of you. It's helpful to work with coaches, mentors, community in order to unlock certain doorways because we all have different gifts inside of our thumbprint suits. We all have unique human designs with special gifts. Like I'm a door opener. So you might want to go to the door opener, you know, and, and get some help for opening your door, but then you might, you might want to just explore things yourself for a while, or you might want to work with somebody else that has a different gift. You know, maybe they're able to like spontaneously create flowers, you know, who knows, like everybody's got different gifts. So you want to go to that person now and experience that. So this is how we're all so unique but we all serve a purpose and we all can learn from each other. Nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody's more ascended than anybody else. We're all here on the human plane, learning whatever lessons we're learning. And we're here for each other. We're here to, you know, do this cosmic dance together. So I, you know, it's going to take everybody. Nobody, you know, nobody's ascending until everybody's ascended. Let's Mm, just put it that way. mm Mm-hmm. That is, I think, the message that continues to come through right now, loud and clear, especially with just really respecting where we're at, I think, in the whole kind of experience of COVID and now what is happening with Black Lives Matter and so much of the, you know, so much of the pain and anguish and um, isolation, but 
it's all been fascinating to kind of continue to hear that message in various ways that you just said about like, you know, nobody's equal until we're all equal. Nobody's ascending until we're all ascending. Nobody's right. It's just this idea of like, let's work toward unity and systems that work for all and including the earth. And I just want to say, you know, as we wrap up, Carrie, just really want to ask, you know, about, so if our listeners want to really understand what can they hope to gain from reading the second wave, it's really kind of, in my understanding, it's really kind of like a, a map to understanding these times that we're in. It is. It's, um, it's, it's a map, but the map has already existed within you. It's just that you, you know how when you get a spiritual realization, I know you get so many of them because I get a lot of them. I, my human <laughs> I call design them is, revelations. Yes. Yeah. Chock full of those, right? Yeah, like yes. I, I'm designed to get them all the time. So I get these and then I sort of like, oh, wow, never forget that. That was so profound. And then like the next day I'm like, what was that? Thing yeah. Was what, what, what? Yeah. What, what? That's the amnesia, right? Mm-hmm. So people have told me that when they read the book that they remember what they, they already got those messages. Many of them, they already got those messages. It's just that they had that moment and they went, Oh, that's right. And then they lost it again, but now they read it in the book and it's right there to see. They're like, Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Yeah. It's written down now. Like (laughs) I'm remembering myself now. I'm remembering what I already knew that I was here for this. So it's more like just validation. You know, I think that we all, it's helpful to have validation. I think that's why we like the group experience at church so much because we like the validation of other people who are agreeing that this thing is important and like, oh, wow, this is my pathway to it. And and it's, it's affirming and it can be a trap, you know, as well, because if you, if you start thinking that there's one path that then you're going to find out that that's not true because we're just, we're so unique. We're all unique thumbprints and we only have little tiny overlapping bits of Venn diagram, you know, like those Venn diagrams where like they overlap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like for some people, they overlap a lot and you're like, wow, you're my tribe. I love you. You're perfect. Right. <laughs> cause, cause they overlap a lot. And some people, they only overlap like this tiniest little sliver. And you're like, I can't stand that person. That person is really outside my wheelhouse, you know, like, <laughs> right. So right. We're all unique. And what I'm hearing you say, too, is that, you know, like three words came up for me about the book. There's the validation part that you were talking about, the context, right? It's like, these are the times. And then community really kind of, it sounds like, you know, everybody who might pick up your book are are part of kind of this bigger community, having a bigger conversation about how can we, you know, really be the most helpful best versions of ourselves during these times and really be the bridge to this new world we're creating. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And doing that in community is so powerful, you know, and as you read the book, because we're talking about, you know, the fifth dimension, as you read the book, you become part of the collective of people who are aligned with the free, the messages in the book, you know, who are aligned with belonging to the second wave, then you just become part of this etheric group called the second wave. You're connected with it. Now you're part of this bigger container, this bigger part of the group consciousness. And you could feel some sense of community and, and support and camaraderie just being part of that bigger framework. It's like, oh, that's right. I'm not crazy. I actually have had this experience and now she's talking about it. And that's my experience when we talked about 
they're, you know, um, how our experiences are unique, but then they're not because mm-hmm. they're collective experiences. Mm-hmm. So you can feel like that, that sense of like, that's right. This is my, you know, this is part of my soul tribe is people that, that have had these experiences and are, are here to do this work right now. So uh, the more we bring it to consciousness, the more better, I think the better job we can do becoming conscious of these things. Well, absolutely. And I just, again, want to thank you for just bringing so much more understanding to this conversation and bringing your humility, your humor, your curiosity. And like I said, just just really describing and explaining some of these loftier concepts and and putting them out in such a relatable and human way. I just, I've enjoyed this conversation so much, Carrie, and I look forward to finishing the book. Thank you, Monica. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope it served everybody that's been listening. Yeah. And we'll make sure to put all your, you know, the links to your various programs in the book right in the blog post. So for those awesome. of you who are listening, you know, go to jointherevelation.com, make sure you're part of our newsletter and we'll be sending you the update on the blog each week. So more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.